Hello and welcome back to Life-Giving Habits from Seven Vineyard, where we're looking at things Jesus did and asking if we do them too, can we become more like Jesus? And so can they become life-giving habits for us? Today, Dan Green is talking about generosity, something which can seem like a big ask in a religious context, like a duty or a chore. But Dan was talking in 2015 when he had just seen some examples of people whose whole lives had been shaped by generosity. And this made him wonder how we could go beyond just doing the best that we think we can and tap into much bigger sources of generosity and inspiration. Here's what he thought. That's really where this conversation about generosity has to start. It has to start with the generosity of God. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, one of the most quoted and well-known verses in the Bible, uh, says, God so loved the world that he gave. And many of you will be able to finish you know, the rest of that verse. He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Uh, the love of God is seen in so many ways, but above all it's seen in the act of giving. When the father gave his son in order to rescue us. So God doesn't only instruct generosity in the Bible, he actually models it. But one of our problems when we talk about generosity is that our picture of God is affected by the story that the world tells us. And the world tells us that there's basically not enough good stuff to go around. And so we have to compete. We have to work in order to earn those good things. And we translate this into our understanding of God and think that somehow he doesn't have enough to go around either. So we need to compete, we need to do the right things uh, in order to earn his favor, in order to be valuable to him. And Jesus comes along and he tells us a different story. He tells us a story which contradicts the story of the world. And one of the specific stories that he tells us about uh, is in the book of Matthew, in chapter 20, if you want to look it up later. Um, but basically it's about a man who goes out in the morning and hires a bunch of workers to come and do a job for him. And he promises them that he'll pay them a full day's wage. A little bit later, uh, he realizes that like, the guys are not getting on with the job fast enough and he needs more workers, so he goes and hires some more and they come and join in with those who were there previously. He does this several times more during the day, goes out, finds more workers, brings them in to join those who were working. And at the very end of the day, he goes and gets some more. I guess they still hadn't quite finished the job that needed doing. So he brings them in at the end of the day. They get on board and finish the job. And at the end of the day, they're all lined up waiting to collect their pay from the master. And uh, the guys who joined at the very end of the day get paid first. So they go up. And to their surprise, they get paid a full day's wage, even though they would just been working from the end of the day. And then those who joined a little bit earlier come up and receive their pay. They also get paid a full day's wage. So the ones who joined at the very beginning of the day had been working all day long, are probably getting pretty excited and thinking, well, if he's paid them a full day's wage, you know, surely we're going to end up with quite a bit of money here. Uh, but they receive their pay and they too are paid just a full day's wage. So of course they're a bit upset and they say to the boss, well, this isn't fair. We've been working hard all day and you've paid us the same as those who joined at the end. And what the boss says is fascinating. 
He says, did I not pay you what I agreed to pay you? Are you upset with me because I'm generous? And Jesus is effectively saying through this story that God is able to give people more than they deserve. He's allowed to do that. He's allowed to be recklessly generous. And this is a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? It doesn't make sense to us. We think that God doesn't have enough good stuff to go around and he needs to be fair to everyone. So we have to work to earn what he has to make sure that we deserve it. But actually, the reality that God wants us to live out of is his abounding generosity. If he wants to pay us a full day's wage for only working 20 minutes, he's allowed to do that. And we see that kind of generosity again and again in the life of Jesus. Like when he feeds 5,000 people from just two fish and five loaves of bread and still ends up with 12 baskets of leftovers. We see it when he's on his way to the cross and he says, I lay down my life. I choose to give it. So here's the thing. Once we realize how generous God is, that gives us permission and the ability to be generous ourselves. We start to realize that there is more than enough good stuff to go around. And it's almost like as we open our hand to give to others, God is able to fill it. Another thing that Jesus does is he challenges us not to live out of duty or obligation. We don't do things because we have to, we do things because we get to. And there's a big difference. Uh, Yesterday was Valentine's Day. And uh, like any good husband, I chose to give flowers to my wife. Sorry to those of you who didn't. I don't mean to make you feel bad, but um, I gave flowers to Karen. And just imagine with me for a minute if I had gone up to her and said, um, you know, Karen, today is the day when we remember that Valentine was executed. And uh, I thought I should probably go to the shop and pay more than is reasonable for a bunch of pretty mediocre-looking flowers um, in order to fit with the cultural convention of this day and to fulfill my duty to you as a husband. I thought I should, and so here they are. I present them to you. I expect if I'd done that, then Karen would have been uh, a little unimpressed and probably pretty upset because that's not how we're supposed to live, is it? That's not how we're supposed to live in our marriages. It's not how we're supposed to live in our families. It's not how we're supposed to live in our lives with God either. We're meant to live out of an overflow, to live as a response to the reckless generosity of God. I don't know if any of you have heard Radio 4's uh, series called Thank You, but it's where members of the public call in and say thanks to strangers, uh, people that they've encountered who have gone out of their way to be kind, to open the door to them or to carry their bags or to give them a new heart or all kinds of things. It's, It's absolutely amazing. And it's a very simple idea, but it's powerful and it's popular. Because if you think about the world that we live in, generosity is actually the perfect antidote to two of the strongest messages that we're fed, which are individualism and materialism. Generosity is it's good news, isn't it? It's good news in our own lives. Think about the people that you know for a minute. Think of someone who you consider to be a generous person. And now think of somebody who you consider to be a little bit tight. We're all hoping that nobody's thinking of us right now. (laughs) 
Which of those people is good news to you? Which of those people is someone that you want more of in your life? It's the person who's generous, right? Of course it is. Well, generosity is good news in our world today. And generosity also helps to break the power of materialism, uh, the grip that it has on us. Giving things away breaks their power over us. Not so that we have to live with a poverty mentality, because there's nothing wrong with good things, and God seems to fill our lives with good things uh, out of his abundant generosity. But we just realize that we can't put our trust in them or find our worth in them. Generosity reminds us that, like the man said so well in the video, there is literally no physical thing that I can buy that will give me inner peace and happiness. One of the other things I love about that video is that the way that the giver, the person who's doing the act of generosity, is blessed in the process. You know, the couple see their lives enriched by the children that they've uh, allowed into their lives and God has brought to them. So a generous life is a happy life. And this fits with what the book of Proverbs says, that a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. It's true, isn't it? Uh, Our lives are enriched as we open them up to other people. But I realize that I'm not really saying anything that you don't already know. Because time and time again, I've been blown blown away by the generosity of people in this church. And uh, Karen and I have the privilege of leading a small group. And we've been the recipients of amazing generosity from them. A small example was a time when they decided that they wanted to give us a gift and pay for us to go out to the theater and have a date instead of small group. And they all came in and babysat for us and had a film night or something. It was wonderful. Maybe they just wanted to get rid of us for a night. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I've heard other stories of people giving cars. Um, Amy had her hair cut off last night uh, at her play in order to... uh, make a a wig for somebody who has cancer. People have paid each other's bills. People are always making meals for families with new children. You know, we are a generous community, and so in a sense, this is nothing new. Uh, Today is just about reminding ourselves to continue on this path, because this life-giving habit is forming in us something of the character of God, something of the image of God. Let me read one more Bible passage, and then we'll look at a few practical ideas for practicing generosity this month. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 to 8 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some translations say a hilarious giver. It's this idea of being reckless. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You'll be enriched in every way. This is uh, on verse 11 now. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I've just highlighted two phrases there. You can't really see it, but... As I've prayed about what God would challenge us with today, it's this idea of abounding in every good work in verse 8. And then in verse 11, being generous on every occasion. What would that look like? What would it mean for us to foster a lifestyle of generosity? Not an act of generosity, but a lifestyle of generosity. How can we cultivate that?
Um, let me quickly run through the resources that are on our website. Um, so all of the ideas uh, from this talk and to practice during the month are already up. Um, if you're, well, individuals, uh, would like to encourage you to sign up for 40X. Um, and as I said, that will send you an idea each day. There's actually different levels of difficulty. Okay, there's green, orange, and red. So the green ones will take you less than a minute and will be, won't cost you anything. Uh, the ones that are yellow might take you a little bit longer, up to 15 minutes, and might cost you one or two pounds. And the ones that are red are a bit more outrageous. So you can choose the level of generosity that you want to try and practice. And then we'd love you to share some stories, um, if you feel that it's appropriate and wouldn't be embarrassing to anybody else, um, using hashtag 740Acts or at 7Vineyard on Twitter or Facebook, or of course you can email them to us as well. Um, that's not so we can say how amazing we are. That's so that we can encourage one another, and like it says in Hebrews chapter 10, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Um, households, uh, there's some resources for families. Um, if you have kids, then you can pick up one of these lovely calendars, which are on the information desk at the back. Uh, the ones at the back are actually laminated, so extra, extra marks from Helen. Um, but those give you an idea of uh, things that you can do as a family, uh, and there's also some Bible passages that you can read and that kind of thing. Uh, of course, if you don't have kids, you're welcome to use the ideas too. Small groups, there's another PDF booklet um, that may help you think through this topic together during the month. Um, Tuesday is Pancake Day, Shrove Tuesday, so maybe a great opportunity to get the ball rolling, invite some neighbors and some friends in, and, uh, and enjoy pancakes together. But beyond that, why not plan a project or something to do together that would be generous to others around you? And lastly, for the whole church, as Helen said during the notices, um, if you can please think and pray about your response to last week's talk and then hand in that uh, at the back or next week, that would be fantastic. So time, energy, and money are all the currencies of generosity. Um, and there'll be times in your life where you may be poor in terms of money, but rich in terms of time and energy. And a great example of this for me was last year, some of the interns didn't barely have enough money to live on, but were so generous in what they gave in terms of their time and energy and expertise. And many of you are doing that throughout the week through Brighter Bristol and other things. Uh, so the key issue really is our heart. Uh, it's giving out of the overflow of God's love as we've talked about. Let me tell you one final story and then we'll let the kids in to, uh, to come and join us for the Lord's Supper. Some of us went to the National Leaders Conference in Nottingham a couple of weeks ago. And uh, among us was Dave Keeper, who spoke a couple of weeks ago here. Um, and I knew that I was going to be giving this talk on generosity, so I started asking people, have you got any good stories or examples? And the next day, uh, I was pulling into the car park, and I spotted Dave and said hi. And I don't know why, but I just asked him again, have you got any more examples of generosity? And to my surprise, he pulled out his wallet and kind of fumbled through it and gave me 20 quid and then walked off. <laughs> Great, I was thinking, this will cover coffee for the whole conference. Um, but no, I was a bit taken aback and I was driving, um, but fortunately Mal was next to me and Mal said, hey, give it to her. And I looked out the window and there was a girl doing the stewarding, you know, wearing a high-vis jacket and uh, freezing to death because it was really cold that week. 
So I had the window down and I pulled over next to her and said, hi, um, this is for you. This is just to say thank you for all of the hard work that you're doing this week. And she obviously loved it too. But I think the thing that was so fun about it and that I think God was reminding me of was that because it was not my money, because it was Dave's money, it had come from him, I had no hesitation at all about giving it away. And it just reminded me that that's true of everything that we have, isn't it? All of our money, all of our time, all of our thoughts come from God and belong to him. And uh, John Wimber, who started the vineyard, had this phrase that he used to say, um, that I am just spare change in God's pocket. He can spend me however he wants. I'm just spare change in his pocket. He, he can spend me however he wants. So may that be our attitude during this Lent, during this period of generosity. May we be a people who have experienced and continue to experience the generosity, the boundless generosity of God. And may we be abundantly generous in how we live so that we can reflect his love to others. And as 2 Corinthians 9 said, our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Amen.